Hi, I'm Tyler Saltzi, pastor of Grace Bible Fellowship in Peru, Illinois. Our mission at Grace Bible Fellowship is to magnify the glory of the triune God in Christ Jesus by proclaiming God's word to advance the gospel in our lives and the world. We base who we are and what we do on the good news of Jesus. If you would like to find more information about Grace Bible Fellowship, you can visit our website at www.gbfperu.org. I'm so thankful you've come here to listen to God's Word proclaimed as we seek to understand it and be transformed by it. I hope you find this time meaningful, challenging, convicting, joyful, and even life-changing as we worship through the preaching of God's Word. I would invite you to take your copies of the scriptures with me this morning and open to the gospel according to John, chapter 10. In a moment, I will read verses 11 through 18. We're going through a series on the church, and particularly, we'll be looking at certain metaphors, analogies that are used throughout the New Testament to talk about Christ's church. And the reason why we're doing this is because I want your faith to be strengthened and I want the church, Christ's church, to be strengthened as well. Do you ever pray for your faith to be strengthened? Do you ever feel sometimes as if you have weak faith? What is it that takes weak strength and makes it or weak faith and makes it strong faith. It is tied directly to the object of our faith. Our understanding of Jesus Christ and who He is and all that He has done strengthens our faith. And so I pray that through these sermons through this series of sermons that our gaze of Jesus Christ will so be enlarged that it would strengthen our faith individually and then also would strengthen our faith collectively as Christ's church. So would you stand with me as I read John 10 verses 11 through 18 and then I will pray that our view and understanding of Christ will be enlarged. John 10, beginning in verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. 
For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. O Father, enlarge our view of Jesus Christ this morning. That we may hear these words from His lips. And that they would transform us and change us and renew us and instruct us that He might receive all of the glory. We pray this in His name. Amen. You may be seated. It seems like in our world, we hear nothing but bad news. Did you hear bad news this week? In fact, it seems like our world feeds off of bad news. And it's almost like our world needs to continually up the ante. If you thought yesterday's news was bad, today's news is worse. Trying to captivate our ears constantly with bad news, bad news, bad news, bad news. And then sometimes when we're so used to hearing the bad news over and over again, it makes the good news seem that much better. Some of the worst news in the Old Testament, you think about the Old Testament, if you could pick that out, what's some of the worst news delivered in the Old Testament? Some of the worst news we hear over and over again is that sheep have no shepherd. In an agricultural sense, this would be a disastrous predicament. Sheep without a shepherd wander all over the place. Sheep without a shepherd put themselves in danger and are left vulnerable to attack. Sheep without a shepherd are heading towards destruction and perhaps even death. Sheep do not organize themselves. Sheep cannot protect themselves. Sheep have no defenses. Sheep need a shepherd and sheep with no shepherd is disastrous news. This bad news, however, in the Old Testament is not referring to actual sheep. It's a metaphor for people and specifically refers to the people of God. So let's just take a tour for a moment in the Old Testament. If you have your Bibles, go back. Keep your finger there in John. Go back to Numbers chapter 27. Verses 16 and 17. Numbers 27, 16 and 17. Here is Joshua about to succeed Moses. And this is what's said. Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation who shall go out before them and come in before them, who shall lead them out and bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be what? As sheep that have no shepherd. 
go over a few more uh, chapters or books to the book of 1 Kings. 1 Kings chapter 22. Verse 17 of 1 Kings 22. Here is the prophet Micaiah prophesying before King Ahab. And this is the news that Micaiah brought. Verse 17, 1 Kings 22. And he said, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. Go to Ezekiel chapter 34. Ezekiel 34, verses 5 and 6. Here, warning about these bad shepherds that have been over the people and what happens. Ezekiel 34, 5 and 6. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered all over the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. One more. How about Zechariah chapter 10? Towards the very end of the Old Testament, Zechariah chapter 10, verse 2. For the household gods utter nonsense, and the diviners see lies. They tell false dreams and give empty consolation. Therefore, the people wander like sheep. They are afflicted for lack of a shepherd. In these, what happens with sheep that have no shepherd? They are scattered, they wander, they are afflicted. Even Isaiah 53 talks about the danger of sheep that have no shepherd. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. It's not enough that we lead ourselves astray. It's not, a, it's not enough that we put ourselves in danger. We turn others to their own way as well. We turn others towards their own death, their own destruction, their own demise if there is no shepherd. It is bad news, the worst news imaginable that sheep would have no shepherd. So terrible that even Jesus reacts when he sees people with no shepherd. So the book of Matthew Chapter 9, verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus saw those who were harassed, who were helpless. They were in a predicament they could not alleviate themselves. They were in a spot where no amount of effort, no amount of strength, nothing could fix their problem. Jesus saw the people as sheep without a shepherd and he had compassion upon them. And in his compassion, 
He does what is necessary to relieve them of their distress. Jesus sought me when a stranger wandering from the fold of God, he to rescue me from danger. Perish the thought of people scattered and wandering away from the fold of God. Perish the thought of those afflicted with no way out. And that those would lead others astray in their wandering. I wonder ever though if maybe sometimes we act like we could get on without a shepherd. Maybe sometimes we think we could get on as a church and take care of ourselves. Maybe sometimes we would elevate our own selves and our minds and diminish the thought of our need for a shepherd. We can figure it out on our own. We can relieve our own distress. We can make our own way in this world. We don't need to be dependent upon a shepherd. We don't need someone to lead us. We don't need someone to take care of us. We can take care of ourselves, thank you very much. In fact, speaking of bad news, how tragic and how bad it is when churches promote a Christless Christianity. No need for Christ, no need for a shepherd, no need for his leading, no need for his caring, no need for his compassion. Admitting that we are sheep and that we need a shepherd comes with a great dose of humility and complete dependency. And that is right where we need to be to hear Jesus say, I am the good shepherd. It seems like a simple statement, but much is packed into those five words. First, let's remember, there are prominent figures in the Old Testament who were shepherds. Abraham, Jacob, Moses, David, even later on, the prophet Amos, they all were shepherds. And all of these play prominent roles in the life of the people of God. As shepherds of sheep, they were also shepherds of people. And David even relates how his shepherding skills prepared him to fight Goliath. I love this. If you have your Bibles, 1 Samuel 17. 1 Samuel 17, verses 34 through 36. 1 Samuel 17, 34 through 36. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he rose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. How great is that? Here is David saying, yeah, I was a shepherd of my father's sheep. I fought a lion, I fought a bear, I've struck them down, and this Philistine will be like one of them. 
God will rescue his people through the defeat of this giant and these Philistines. Obviously then, being a shepherd isn't for sissies. It took courage and fortitude. It took bravery and a willingness to fight when necessary. So in one sense, Jesus saying, I am the good shepherd, reminds us that Jesus stands as the fulfillment of all the other shepherds of God's people that have come before him. He is the fulfillment of Moses. He is the fulfillment of David. But in another sense, he is also saying something much more than this. By Jesus saying that he is the good shepherd, he is declaring that he is God. Two explicit ways make this apparent. First, he uses what is known as an I am statement. I am the good shepherd. This is terminology we see used by Yahweh, with Moses at the burning bush. When Moses said, I'm going to need a name. You want me to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. I'm going to need a name for you, God. When they say, oh yeah, who told you to lead us out? And what does Yahweh say? You tell them, I am who I am. He is the eternal, ever-existent, completely independent God who is sovereign over all things. The God who was, the God who is, and the God who always will be. So when Jesus says, I am, he uses the words from Exodus 3 and he applies them to himself. Jesus is the great I am. But even more, if the bad news was for the sheep to have no shepherd in the Old Testament, the good news is that God would be their shepherd. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. Isaiah 40, 11, the Lord God will tend his flock like a shepherd. Ezekiel 34, 15, I will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. It's as if Jesus is saying, remember how God promised to be your shepherd? I am that shepherd. I am, and no one other I am God in the flesh who is among you, the one who has come to tend to you. And Jesus here adds this qualifier, doesn't he, to describe his shepherding? I am the good shepherd. Why did Jesus say good? In the context of John, particularly John 10, which comes right after John 9, in John 9, Jesus heals a man that was born blind. And that causes a big problem for the Pharisees who eventually kick him out of the synagogue for believing and trusting in Jesus Christ. The Pharisees who were supposed to shepherd the people of God, the Pharisees who were supposed to care for the people, were actually destroying the people, were actually leading people away from God. They were like the bad shepherds in Ezekiel 34 who were so busy feeding themselves, were so busy taking care of themselves, who were so self-centered, so self-focused, they scattered the sheep because they did not tend to them. 
But Jesus is not like those shepherds. He is the good shepherd because he is God. And so what does it say this good shepherd does? Look here, verse 11, John 10. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And as we read through this text, it appears this is the primary action upon which all of Christ's other actions depend. So let's unpack what it means for Christ to be the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. There's an outline in your bulletin if you want to follow along. You find that helpful. But first, Christ lays down his life to save his sheep. Christ lays down his life to, sh- to save his sheep. Think about this for a moment, what Jesus has just said. Because it's utterly shocking if we gloss over it. Jesus has just declared, I am the good shepherd. And we've just said this is a declaration that he is deity. He is God. And then right on the heels of that, he says, I'm going to die. How can this be? Jesus, how is it? That in one breath you can say that you are God and then follow that up with a proclamation of your death. There is one thing perhaps that we would say God doesn't do. God doesn't die. How many people would like God to die? Many would try to kill God. Many would try to say that God is dead. But for those who believe in God, we would say it's impossible for God to die. And yet here, in two sentences, Jesus says, I am God and I will die. But why did Jesus have to die? He had to die for the sheep. He did not die for himself. He died for, that is, in place of his sheep. He lays down his life. No one takes it from him. He dies voluntarily and willingly for the sheep. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And what happens? And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That is why Jesus had to lay down his life. That is why Jesus had to die. The sheep, us, we deserve to die for our iniquity. But the good shepherd dies and sacrifices himself in their place. Amazing love. How can it be that thou my God shouldst die for me. It's Jesus laying down his life for the sheep. It's Jesus' death that highlights his goodness. How do you know him to be the good shepherd? I know him to be good because he died for me. What's better than that? In fact, Romans 5 says, Christ died for the weak, the ungodly. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And let's not read these words, lays down his life for the sheep, as if merely to mean Christ risked his life for us. Thank you, Jesus, for sticking out your neck for us. Thank you, Jesus, for putting yourself in harm's way. No, thank you, Jesus, for the cross. 
Thank you for dying. When our good shepherd, Jesus Christ, died, he did so not to serve as an example to the sheep. He died to save the sheep. He died to draw his sheep to himself. And what is somewhat ironic, you would think that the shepherd dying for the sheep would be the most tragic event of all. What happens if the shepherd dies for the sheep? Well, in our human understanding and reasoning, we would say it leaves the sheep vulnerable. How tragic would it be that a shepherd would die because then there's no one to protect the sheep. It leaves the sheep, in fact, hopeless and despairing. Yet, it is Jesus Christ and his very action of laying down his life that is needed to save the sheep, protect the sheep, and secure the lives of his sheep. It does not leave them vulnerable or unprotected. In fact, it does the exact opposite. It's Jesus' death that actually gives the sheep their life. Jesus goes on to talk about this hired hand who is the antithesis to the good shepherd. He is in it for the money. He is in it for what he gains. The hired hand is not a shepherd. And look at what it says. Who does not own the sheep. The sheep are not his. They do not belong to him. No, I do not think that in every case... In Jesus' day, the shepherds owned the sheep, but I think what Jesus is communicating here is that this good shepherd, as Jesus refers to himself as the good shepherd, he does own the sheep. The hired hand does not own the sheep. And so because of that, the sheep become expendable. As long as he is taken care of, he'll watch the sheep but they are not his sheep. The good shepherd, however, he owns the sheep, not in an abusive way, but in a tender and caring way. He owns the sheep. He owns us, if you will, to show compassion, mercy, grace, and love to us. How does the hired hand operate? Well, what does it say? He sees the wolf coming, he leaves the sheep and flees. I think we can put that in contrast to what the good shepherd does. The good shepherd sees the wolf coming still, and he stays, and he stands. Interestingly, the wolf or the wolves in the New Testament are often spoken of as people who are false teachers and cause divisions in Christ's church. This is what the wolf does after the hired hand flees. He snatches them or steals them and he scatters them. It could be that the snatching, some are destroyed while the rest are scattered. Whatever the case, the hired hand chose to save himself and in so doing, the sheep are destroyed. It's the opposite later of what Jesus promises in chapter 10 again, where he says, no one snatches 
No one snatches the sheep out of my hand. Verse 28 of chapter 10, I will give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Here's the contrast between the hired hand who leaves, the wolf who comes and who snatches them, and then Jesus later saying, no one's going to snatch them out of my hand. No one's going to take them away from me. Their life is secure in me. And why is it that the hired hand left? Why is it that the hired hand fled? Was it because he was not courageous? Was he greedy? Was he more concerned about his own life? Was he unwilling to sacrifice, to spare the sheep? On a certain level, probably all of these are true, but one reason specifically is given. Look at it here. Verse 13. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. That is why he fled. Lack of care. And notice it is absolute. He cares nothing. The hired hand wants his way, wants his safety, wants his security, wants his money, wants his preferences, all the while posing like he is watching the sheep while actually caring nothing for them. But the good shepherd cares everything for his sheep as is shown by his death for the sheep. That was Jesus' purpose for coming. It was Jesus' set purpose in being the good shepherd. He sought us and he bought us with his redeeming blood. This is the good shepherd who will never leave you, never forsake you. This is the good shepherd who will tend his flock like a shepherd, who will gather the lambs in his arms, who will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. Jesus Christ, our good shepherd, has come to save us as his sheep, and he has done so by laying down his life for us. Number two, Christ lays down his life to know his sheep. Christ lays down his life to know his sheep. The next sec section begins with the statement again, I am the good shepherd. And now comes a declaration followed by a comparison. I know my own, and my own know me. Again, notice, the sheep are Christ's sheep. They are his own. They are no one else's. The sheep cannot say, I'm my own sheep. No, you're Christ's sheep. Let us not think, I am my own person. I think that can be a dangerous way of thinking because it drives a wedge between who we are and who our shepherd is for us and who we've been united to as Christians. I am my own person. If you are, you aren't Christ's. You think wrong if you think you can be your own person and be Christ's at the same time. Perhaps just as Jesus said, you can't 
love God and money. You can't love Christ and self. Saying you are your own means you don't know Christ. Saying you are your own means you don't have intimate fellowship with Christ. That is, this knowing here is an experiential knowledge. It's a personal knowing. It's a mutual and inner fellowship between Jesus and His own. And then comes this comparison. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. Here is this mutual and inner fellowship in the Godhead, a closeness between God the Father and God the Son. This is a relationship of fellowship, joy, love experienced in the Godhead between the Father and the Son. And what can get in between God the Father and God the Son? What can disrupt their relationship? What can separate them? Nothing. And so then what can... It what can get between Christ and his sheep? What can separate them? What can break this fellowship? Seemingly nothing. Christ lays down his life so we might know this kind of closeness in relation to him. Christ lays down his life so we are included in the relationship of love enjoyed between the Father and the Son. Christ's death does not mean for you to be separated from him, but it actually draws you closer to Him. Greater fellowship and union with Christ, our Savior, through the laying down of His life. Number three, Christ lays down His life to unify the flock. Christ lays down His life to unify the flock. Christ continues to instruct in verse 16. What does He say? I have other sheep, other sheep who are His, they are not of this fold. Who are these sheep Jesus is talking about here? I think specifically he's talking about the Gentiles. Jesus is talking predominantly to Jews. And he is making them aware of the great plan of God in salvation, which includes Jews and Gentiles. And what unites Jews and Gentiles? It's the same Savior, Jesus Christ, who brings them in. Just as Jesus had brought in these Jews, so he's going to bring in these Gentiles. Just as he lays down his life for the Jews, he's also going to lay down his life for the Gentiles. In this way, he is bringing these people into his messianic community. In this way, they are just as much his sheep as the Jews are his sheep. Just as the Jews would have heard the voice of the Good Shepherd, so the Gentiles will have to hear the voice of the Good Shepherd, listen to his voice, and obey him. And then there's this marvelous outcome. Isn't there? Look at this outcome here. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. Question, how many flocks? It's not a trick question. How many flocks does Jesus say that there are? I'm not a math wizard. I'm just going to take this for what it says. Jesus says there is one flock. So, let's just extrapolate it out a little bit. Let's not miss a dot. How many peoples of Christ? 
How many groups? One flock. And what's beautiful is that Jesus can take all of these different sheep, Jews, Gentiles, and he brings them together and he unifies them by laying down his life for these people so that they become one flock. And then what do we read about in the book of Revelation, chapter 7, verses 9 and 10? After this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. One flock worshiping one Savior around his throne forever and ever. What Jesus has brought together, let us not tear asunder. Jews, don't complain that you don't like the Gentiles, that they're unclean, that you don't have that much in common with them, that you don't like them, that you think that you are better than them. Christ died to bring them into his flock. So love them, your commitment to them, your devotion to the people who aren't like you and don't look like you and don't share your interests is actually one way that people will know that you are my disciples because you love one another even though according to the world you should never have come together. This is the church. The church is not about finding people who have common interests with you so that you can be with them together. The church is about Christ bringing people who have nothing in common and who would never get together to worship one Savior, one Shepherd, Jesus Christ. If Christ has so died to unify his flock, what petty differences, what petty preferences and nitpicky things get in our way and keep us from unifying with one another? Why is there only one flock? Because there is only one shepherd, one savior, one Lord. Do you want to divvy up the people of God? You're going to have to divvy up the shepherd too. But you can't. There is only one good shepherd and he has only one flock. And it's only those who have put their faith and trust in Him. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew and to the Greek. For Christ lays down His life to take it up again, and so be our perpetual good shepherd. Christ lays down His life to take it up again, and so be our perpetual good shepherd. Finally, this last section, we are told one reason why God the Father loves Jesus. It's because he fully and completely fulfills the sovereign purposes of God through the redemption of sinners. There is a reason why Jesus lays down his life. It is so he can take it up again. Not only does he lay it down, and take it up again, but it says he has authority to lay it down and take it up again. So Jesus has the right to sacrifice himself on the cross in the place of sinners, bearing their sin and shame. 
He has the right to take their punishment on himself in order to cleanse them and forgive them of all of their sin and give them the gift of eternal life. And he has the right to take it up. What does that mean? He has the right to resurrection. A right and authority that is there because he is the perfect sacrifice. Notice the activity of Christ in both. Christ actively lays down his life, yielding up his spirit. So he actively rises again from the dead. Who is this that has power over sin, death, and the grave but the Lord Jesus Christ? At the center of these last few verses here, we are reminded no one takes it from him. No one takes it from him. He lays it down willingly, voluntarily. A big word here, vicariously, that is, as our substitute and in our place. He gave his life up for us. Such is the good news that the life of the sheep are not only bound to his death, but the life of the sheep are also, and at the same time, bound to his life. The security of the one flock is found in him who lays down his life, who lays down his life and takes it up again in resurrection. What does that mean for us now? Not only did our good shepherd die for us, but he also even now lives for us. His shepherding didn't stop with his death. But through his resurrection, he sealed that he would forever be our shepherd. We need a shepherd of the church today, and our chief shepherd is Christ. First Peter helps us remember this in chapter 2 and in chapter 5. First Peter 2.25, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseers of your soul. And then 5.4, and when the chief shepherd that's Jesus Christ. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. The living and risen Christ still must shepherd his flock today. It is what we need. We cannot shepherd ourselves apart from Christ. We cannot save ourselves apart from Christ. We cannot know God apart from Christ. We cannot be unified apart from Christ. We cannot do anything or go anywhere apart from Christ. He is everything to us and remains everything to us as we desire to obey Him and live for Him. And all of this is based on Jesus laying down His life for us. He is the Lamb that was slain who is also our shepherd. Revelation 7, 17. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. He will guide them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Here is the good shepherd for eternity. A good shepherd that continues to lead us today the good shepherd that we welcome and that we sing 
this about. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's then that we can say with confidence and complete certainty, the church is Christ's flock. Let's pray. Father, you know that we need a shepherd, and that perfect shepherd is Christ who watches over our souls, who tends to us, who continues to lavish His compassion upon us. And so, even today, may we know the embrace and comfort that comes from Him. A love that will never let us go, a love that will never be diminished, or taken away from us, but a love that lasts because it has been secured by our good shepherd laying down his life for us. Forgive us, O Lord, for when we have thought we could live life without a shepherd. And Father, today, if there is someone here who is seeking to live that way, I pray that today they would come to see Christ as the shepherd they need. That they would believe and put their faith and trust in Him. They would repent of their sin. That they would be brought into the fold. So that they would know the security of eternal life. Father, I pray that we would have ears to hear today what you would say to us through your word so that we might live it out this week for you and for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.